Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. Okay, so we're going to start in 8 verse 9 because we really had finished the, the main part of the adulterous woman. And we had talked about the fact that they have used this woman to be basically an object for a trap for Jesus. And, but as they were looking down their noses, their religious noses at this woman, they got a good look at themselves because Jesus was writing something with his finger in the dust, which that in of itself is just mercy because dust blows away. And so he was giving them an opportunity, right, to really see themselves. Um, they did see themselves. They were convicted, not convicted enough to change their lives, but they were convicted enough to drop their stones. And so in verse 9, it says, But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. We talked about that too, I believe, the fact that the first ones to drop the stones were the oldest ones. It makes sense to me. The older we are, the longer we've lived, the more junk we have, and the more we realize life is hard, we ain't perfect. Be careful how you judge someone else, because the minute you say, well, I would have, or I could have, or you should, or never, guess what? Boy, that comes back to bite you in the rear end sometimes. And so you see the older ones see right away, they drop their stones and they walk away, they realize it. Sometimes young people in their fervor, they haven't lived long enough to realize some of what we've learned. But I love the fact that it says, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. She's standing now. Do you notice that? Notice all the different postures, right? Because I think they mean something. So right away, if you remember, he got down on the ground with her because he was riding in the dust. He went to where this broken woman was. He got down on her level. Everybody else was standing up, looking down their noses at her. But he got down on her level and began to write. But when he proclaimed, when he stood up on her behalf, and then he said, hey, he without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. He then got back down with her, and it says he began to write in the dust. But now, once everybody's left, he has stood up, and what has he done? He's raised her up. He has stood her up. And I just can't help... But think about the description of Jesus, that he is the lifter of my head. I love that. Have you ever seen any of your kids ever done something wrong or they're sad or someone's hurt them? What posture did they come in, those little ones? Right? And how often do you grab them and you raise that little face and you go, listen, don't you worry about Johnny. He don't know. You're the best thing on the planet. You know why? because you're stinking mine, and I just love you. Rotten and all, Hillary Hoffpower. I just love you. We got some things to work on, but guess what? It's so funny. She texted me the other day, and she goes, oh my gosh, what was it that she was doing? She texts me. She goes, hey, do you want to buy me a heating? I can't tell you the first thing she told me, because it would have to be edited out, but she was having issues, you know? Ugh. And she goes, hey, mom, I'm broke as a joke. I, do you mind buying me a heating pad? Because I don't know where my heating pad is. 
And I said, yes. And she said, well, do you mind buying me Chick-fil-A on the way to get the heating pad? <laughs> and I said, sure. And then she sends me a text. She goes, do you hate me? And I said, yes. And, and, and she sent back laughing and she goes, why do you love me? And I said, I love you because you're mine and that's all there is to it. And so, and you know, she said, thanks. But I'm telling you, some days, right? And that's not one of those days. We've had days. But uh, you, you love them because they're stinking yours. And so he raises her up. She's completely been shamed. And my mother is talking about me over in the corner. I just want you to know because she had those days with me. Um, and I don't know why she would do that because I was precious growing up. Oh, it's her heating pad that's missing. <laughs> Hillary took Nana's heating pad and now has lost it, so I'm going to buy her another one. That's Hey, th sorry about it, grandmas. You just got to go with it. The only year I was especially bad was eighth grade. And then she looked at me one day in tears saying that the body snatchers had stolen her daughter and replaced it with somebody she'd never seen. <laughs> but about the middle of ninth grade, I showed back up. So we're all good. But he raised her head, and now the woman is standing before Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what, at the end of the day, we're all going to. And, realize, and really, that's all it comes down to. There will be a day where we all, alone, will be standing before Jesus. And the question will be, did you believe in me? Because, be clear, every knee will bow. I want to bow voluntarily not mandatorily, <laughs> but every knee will bow. And here he is, this gentle savior standing before this woman. It's amazing to me how sinners treat sinners. What's even more amazing to me is how believers treat other believers. We are the only ones, I think, sometimes that shoot their own wounded. And I think that's why a lot of our young people get um, confused today is because they see non-believers being kinder and I'm not talking about our stances. We can believe what we believe. But how I believe should never affect how I treat you. And so here he was with her, the lifter of her head. How does the law treat sinners, by the way? I, I want to read you something. Romans 3.20. Um, I want to show you something. Um, it says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since the law... Through the law comes knowledge of sin. No one will be saved by the law. The law was never intended to save. The law was intended to make you realize your sin and send you to a savior. The law would never save. But the fact is, Jesus would. Romans 8.1 says what? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we understand grace, we don't throw stones. How can the holy, I, I got to thinking, how can the holy righteous God, who demands holiness, saying these things, if we have broken any part of the law, we've broken it all, who says we all have sinned, we've all missed the mark and fallen short, who says we have all earned the wages of death, how can he give mercy? How can he be just and at the same time be a friend to sinners? 
I'll tell you how. It's called the Great Exchange. And it's what separates us from every religion in the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 2, or 21. Let's read that. Ooh, I love it when I turn right to it. It says, for our sake, he, Jesus, no, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. In other words, God gave Jesus what we deserved, and he gave us what he deserved. That is salvation, the great exchange. God is both just and love. He is just, absolutely, because he's holy, but his love was so great that he gave himself to fulfill that justice to offer you salvation. It's amazing, the great exchange. It says, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from here and sin no more. Verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Have you heard this before? Do you see how repetitive he's being? He never changes his story. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. The words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Okay, this is the day after the great festival. Do I need to remind you of the festival? The festival of the booths, the festival of the tabernacle, when they lived in the little booths out in the streets and in their courtyards. And, and remember Josephus says, you've never experienced joy unless you've experienced the feast of booths. Man, I would have loved to have been there. People from all over coming in, living outside, camping, looking up at the stars, telling their kids the great story of the wilderness wanderings. And every night the temple was lit up like the pillar of fire where all that light penetrated the entire city of Jerusalem, reminding them that God had provided. And every day they enjoyed the water libation, this celebration that would go from the temple all the way down to the pool, all the way back up, and they would pour it out before the Lord, remembering that God had brought water from the rock. I mean, beautiful. But this is the day after. So what do you do the day after Christmas? Well, I rejoice, but that I know I, I'm wretched. But, you, you know, you're taking the lights down. Do you realize that's what they're doing? They're in the treasury, in the treasury, in the, uh, the courtyard of the women. That's where the giant oil candelabras were that lit up the whole place. It's the day after. It's over, and they're taking it down. And this is the situation, and Jesus uh, stands up, in that situation, and he says, because when you're taking down, are y'all sad when you take down your lights? 
me either, but uh, when he stands up and he says, don't be sad, he's like, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Uh, Look at verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of what? Of life. Now, I want you to go back to John's thesis statement that we studied at the beginning. Go to John chapter 1. John 1, 4 through 5. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Apostle John has told us that from the beginning because Jesus said these words, I am the light of the world. Anybody that follows me will not live in darkness. They go, well, that's your own testimony. And according to our law, you can't testify for yourself. So what you're saying is not true. No, he says, no, no, no. What you're saying is that one testimony, a person's testimony can't be proven. Doesn't mean it's not true. Because he clarifies and he says, no, even if I'm bearing witness about myself, the fact that what I'm saying, let's be clear, it is true. Because actually, I'm the only one who knows where I came from and where I am going. So it is true. This is what I think is so interesting. He has just said to them, I'm the light of the world. Okay? Do you realize that nobody really understands light? They really don't. They really don't understand the makeup of light and and where exactly it comes. It's just light. And so, but the thing we have to understand is light proclaims itself. Light reveals itself. The only people that can't see it are blind. And what has he called them before? What will he call them? You're a bunch of blind guys. The reason you, blind guides, The reason you don't see this is because you're blind, right? Because light tattles on itself. If if it was pitch black and I turned on the light, do you understand? The light reveals itself. That is why like in combat, if there's a blackout, right? If there's any light, you can see where the target is. And so he's like, actually, I'm telling you I'm the light of the world because only the light can reveal itself. Only the people who are blind won't be able to see this light. He says, you judge by what you see. And he goes, I judge no one. You judge by what you see. Well, what do they see? They just see earthly things. They're not, they don't have spiritual eyes whatsoever. And he says, I judge no one. Man, didn't they prove that with the woman? I mean, they showed up honestly thinking they were holy. They were deceived about themselves until he did what? Right? So they show up being harsh to her because they think that they're completely holy. They judged her harshly and themselves holy. And he says, and if I did, and if I did judge, it would be in perfect alignment with my father. And that works according to your law. So he says it again. I'm not the only one testifying here. I've told you who I am. And honestly, it's true. 
And I'm the only one that can testify about it because I'm the only one who knows where I came from and why I'm here. But according to your law, if there are two people that testify, then it's credible. And I'm telling you, there are two people that are testifying, me and my father. Now let's be reminded, how is the father testifying for the son? Through his works, Nicodemus literally came to him and said, we know that you are from God because if you weren't, you would not be able to do the things that you do. And so the father is testifying through Jesus by his works. And then what else? Scripture. 330 prophecies he came to fulfill. And then they say this, well, where is your father? Okay, now they're they're starting to get a little, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, and it's going to get worse. They're like, oh, okay, well, where is your father? Hmm, starting to insinuate some stuff. Verse 21, so he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of the world. I am not of the world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that, and I'm going to say this correctly, okay? Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. He tells them point blank. Um, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going to be here for a little while, and then I, I'm going away. And you can't go where I'm going. Look at that verse and tell me why. Because you will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. So then the Jews say, well, will he kill himself? Because Lord knows they can't imagine them dying in their sins. Like that, that went right over their head. Okay, where's he going? That's all they see. Where's he going that he thinks we can't find him or we can't be with him? Okay, they skipped over the most important part, the fact that you're gonna die in your sins. So then they insult him. And they say, so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And what you need to realize is in this day, they thought the lowest parts of hell were reserved for those who took their own lives. Which can I just tell you is not true. You are not saved by works. You will not be unsaved by works, or put it this way. You are not saved because of the choices you made other than believing in Jesus, and you will not be unsaved by a choice you made in a moment of darkness. Um, And so, but they believed that it was the uh, impardonable sin, which scripture is very clear about that. The impardonable sin is the denial of Christ, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, The fact that God reveals the gospel to you, you clearly see it and you reject it. That is it. It it is not a choice like that we made. But they believed that the lowest gates, the lowest places in hell were reserved for those that took their own lives. So do you understand what they're saying? Okay, well, the only place he could go that we could not find him or be with him, well, he must be going to hell. He must be going to the lowest places of hell. Are you kidding me? So he says to them, and now you'll see why he says what he says. He said to them, uh, no, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. 
I am not of this world. Okay? So he's saying, no, we need, to, we need to think about this. You are from below. He's not talking about hell, okay? He's talking about earth. He's like, no, you're from here. I'm not. I'm from above, he says. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And so what he is saying to them, he says, listen, actually, it's the opposite. It was they eventually who would face judgment. But he is saying, what I'm telling you right now is we have different origins. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Is that the same thing he was telling Nicodemus in a way? He was saying, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Why? Well, Nicodemus understood it. He goes, how can I do that? right? Do I jump back in my mother's womb? No. What I'm telling you is impossible. You're correct. You're a smart teacher. That's a correct, uh, uh, that's correct logic. Because Nicodemus, you did not have any choice in your physical birth any more than you will your spiritual one. What I'm telling you is that physical will birth physical, but spiritual has to birth spiritual. And so, Something has to bring you to life. Something spiritual has to bring you to life. And then he goes on and says how that happens. He says, this is how it will happen. The son of man will be lifted up like the bronze serpent. All right? That which is killing you will be lifted up. It will take your place. You are to look and live. And he goes in that. And so basically, he is trying to get them to understand, you are not spiritual because you were born Jewish. You are from here. I am not. I am from above. You are from here. We have completely different origins. Look at Luke 10, 20. It says 10, 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When we are born again, when we are made alive in Christ Jesus, when our hearts have been quickened, when we come alive spiritually, our names are written in heaven. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like the glorious body, but the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We are citizens in heaven. We have been born again. We have been made alive spiritually in Christ Jesus. We have become the children of God. And we're gonna look at that even more because he talks about that even more later. But he says to them, the reason you cannot be where I am going is because you are going to die in your sins. And he says, I have told you. How many times has he told you? You will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. You will die in your sins. That's the problem. And remember, I told you Christianity does not come to differentiate between good people and bad people. No. Christianity and Jesus came to differentiate between the humble and the proud. It is their pride that is making them unwilling and keeping them from seeing. You have to be humble in the fact that you realize that you need a Savior. And he is saying, because you have not believed that I am. What's that word? Yahweh. I am. 
He's saying that you will not believe that I am who I say I am. And what all has he said so far? I am equal with God. I have been sent by the Father. I, he has given me full judgment, full power. He has given me honor. Whew. The same honor with the Father. I say exactly what he tells me to say because I hear his voice. I have been there. I have seen. He is, and he's going to say even more now. And he has told them, I am the way. He has shown them. In manna, oh, manna, your forefathers ate manna in the desert and they died because it was physical. I am the true bread from heaven. I have been sent from the Father. If you want to live spiritually, eat of me. I will give my flesh sacrifice. Eat me and drink my blood. It is through my sacrifice that you will have life. He then goes what? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink and I will, and if he believes in me, I will make his heart rivers of living water. All along, he is telling them, the one that talked to Abraham, the one that led Moses, the one from the very beginning, guess what? I am. And because you refuse to believe I am that I am, you will die in your sins. And he's clear. They said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. <laughs> they said, who are you? Do you still not get it? Here's the question. Do they really want to know? Though Jesus told them again and again who he was, they continued to ask, always hoping for an answer they could use to what? Trap him. Some questions aren't used to discover the truth. Have you ever noticed that? They're hostile. We can have three right here in chapter eight. Here are three hostile questions. Well, where is your father? And they're gonna get rude about that in a minute. And in verse 22, it says, well, will he, will he kill himself? And in verse 25, it says, well, who are you? He's been telling them all along. Every question is a trap that they are laying. Now, I thought that was funny because I don't know about you, but as a mom, I used to tell my kids all the time, listen to me. If I'm, surely y'all are smart enough to know this by now. If I'm asking you a question, you can pretty much assume I already know the answer. All right? Because I'm gonna tell you right now, they couldn't get away with Jack Diddley squat. I knew too many people. Not to mention the fact I was the Bible teacher on campus until they went to high school. That really stunk for them. Um, but I'm just telling you, they got caught all the time. And I would always say, and I want y'all to know that I pray about that. I pray that your sins will find you out. And they were just like, oh. And I, I mean, and I would say, so if I'm asking you a question, I could call it one of two things. I could call it laying a trap if I wanted to be like that. 
Or I could call it an opportunity for them to come clean. Okay? And so, but the bottom line is these Pharisees are asking questions not for knowledge. Not for true knowledge. They're asking questions to consistently lay a trap because they've already made up their mind a while back that they want to kill him and get rid of him because he is upsetting the apple cart. He is threatening their system and he is threatening their authority and their power. And so they're asking these questions. Um, They refuse to believe. Verse 26, I wrote, can you imagine? Because he says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Praise God. I put, can you imagine all he could say regarding them? Can you imagine that? All that Jesus could say regarding me, why? Everything is laid bare before Jesus. All of which would have been true, by the way. But that's not why he came. He didn't come to lay bare. What did he come to do? Love covers a multitude of sin. He did not come to judge the world. He came to love the world. He did not come to shame and to uncover. He came to cover. It is their job to judge. Do you remember when I said in, uh, in John 3, 19, it says, this is the judgment. The light of the world has come. He was sent to do the will of God. The judgment will happen inside each individual. They will either decide to go to the light or to turn from the light. He didn't come to condemn, and that's not our job either. Our job is to shine the light. Our job is display the love of God. And when we do that, there will be a judgment that will happen inside of them. Um, But it says, uh, he did not come to condemn, but to save. I will only say what the Father wants. (laughs) So I wrote in my notes, this is for me, because I'm sure it's not for you. I put, uh, just because something... Just because we believe something or even know something to be true. He knew everything about them. It was true. And if anybody had a right to speak it, it was Jesus. He could have. He could have laid them bare. And when he did, even when he brought up stuff, he wrote it in the dust, which means what? It had an opportunity to blow away. He wasn't going to keep them on the hook for every choice they'd ever done for Lord knows the whole creation of the world. How about you? That reminds me. When people do bad things, it's kind of a juvenile way to say it, but when people do bad things, do you just write it in the stone? <laughs> you, you never let them correct or move on or change or, or develop or grow? No, Jesus didn't do that. He was the harshest with religious leaders because they are the harshest with people. But even Jesus wrote their offenses in the dust so that when they could see it, they would be convicted. But the wind came and what? Even that was blown away. They had the opportunity all the time to turn from him, but they refused. He didn't reject them. They rejected him. And so I think we need to allow people to do that too. Write their offense. Okay, it's in the dust. Move on. Boy, that's hard, especially when they've offended you. So just because we believe something or even know something to be true doesn't mean we have the freedom to say it. Jesus had the right to say anything, and he said, oh, I have a lot to say about you, but I won't. I didn't come for that. 
I came to speak the words that the Father has given me. And I wrote, oh, Lord, our tongue. Can I just read you some amazing ones about the tongue that are out of the book of Proverbs wisdom? Just for a little bit. Let's just have a little reminder of this tongue. 11.9, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Why do you want to destroy your neighbor? It says the godless man wants to destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. 11.12, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. Yeah, you lack sense because it's your neighbor. Why are you going to belittle your neighbor? You lack sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. 1117, it's all in one chapter. I should memorize chapter 11 of Proverbs. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been cruel and you walked away? And the person might have forgotten about it in two days, but man, you didn't. I'm going to tell you, lately, just because of where I am with grief and everything, I seem to be overcoming big offenses and little ones are ticking me off. Do you ever get like that? Like I'm trying to forgive some pretty big things to get over some pretty big things to really go, okay, God, make me kind, uh, make me understanding because Lord knows I need it and all that stuff. And then I'll be in a hotel lobby sitting at a restaurant without a mask in Pittsburgh, (laughs) drinking my coffee at a little round table. And maybe, just maybe, the show manager walks in and forgets to put on her mask. And just maybe a millennial working the front desk says to all of us, as we're starting to get up, haven't gotten up yet, starting to get up to get our suitcases, uh, can y'all put on a mask? I was fine. I said, oh, I'm, yes, I will, I'm sorry. And she said the same thing, yes, I will, I'm sorry. And we went to put on that mask, and then she said, you know, y'all aren't the only ones in the room. Couldn't do it. <laughs> Couldn't do it. I was having a week, I'm talking about my son dying, I'm trying to love women, I'm worn slap out, I'm trying to get over stuff, and it was just that little fox that just came in. And I stood up and I said, you know what? And I thought my friends were going to faint because they, I guess they're used to me being precious. So <laughs> I looked and I said, you know what? I'm putting on this mask. I said, but I could have done without your comment. And she looked at me and the rest of them looked at me like, oh, buddy. And I'm walking out and I said, that's really not the way to speak to people. And I said, that had a really big assumption in there about our character. And I said, don't say that to me again. I I was like, Ma Grizzly, I'm telling you what. It was like, that was the one my kids hated to meet, that that person right there. And I thought, I'm about to spank you, girl. You're all of like 19 (laughs) years old, you know? And then I walked out in the car and I'm driving. I'm like, now let's go tell people about Jesus. But it's, sometimes it's the little stuff, you know, that gets you. And then, and that's why it says here, but a cruel man hurts himself. That bugged me, even though I kind of think I was right. 
I just, you know, like, why, Shannon? Why? You know, why? Here's another one. 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This one, when I looked it up, made me laugh and cry at the same time because one time with Zachary, he was about six years old. I think he was at Northwest Community Christian School, and he was in Mrs. Nolan's class, who's the best first grade teacher on the stinking planet. And uh, Zachary was so precious, and Doug and I, I don't know what we were doing, but we weren't being nice. And I was in the kitchen, and he turned to me, and he said, Mom, a kind word turns away wrath. Are you freaking kidding me? My six-year-old, like from the mouths of babes, you know, and you know how you are. You're like, well, could you turn around and tell that man sitting on that recliner that a kind word, you know, but I, I just couldn't help it. I, that's a great verse, but honestly, it really does it. It really does. A kind word turns away wrath. It stops it in its tracks. How about 15.4? A gentle tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness, and it breaks the spirit. Well, 1624 is a good one. I circled 18.4, so let me at least get to that because I must have loved that on the plane. It says this, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. The words of our mouth are deep waters. And wisdom is a bubbling brook to show wisdom. Listen, our mouth really is to be used for encouragement and strengthening, right? Yes, correction, but in kindness and love and all of those things. Sometimes, right, our mouth is even to be silent. When all else fails, what? Shut it up. Keep your mouth shut, right? Was it Forrest Gump that said, my, well, no, I don't know, maybe it's my mom. If you ain't gotten something nice to say, don't say nothing at all. And just because you think you know or you know the truth, most of the time we really don't, right? And even if you do, why is it your job to say? You need to ask yourself some questions. Here's some good questions for you. Is this my business, my neighbor's business, or God's business? You stay in your business, 100%. He says, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. That word lifted up there does not mean exalt. They would have known exactly what it meant. It, means, it meant to be lifted up to crucify just as he was talking about before when he says, and the Son of Man must be lifted up like the bronze serpent in the wilderness. To be lifted up. Do you remember what was killing them in that wilderness? The serpent. They had to look at what was killing them. Believe and live. He who had no sin became sin for us on the cross. It's as simple as this. Look and live. If you do not believe that I am, that I have come from the Father, I have not come to condemn but to bring life, how am I going to do it? By laying down my life for you, by providing a way. To you, if you don't believe that I am who I say I am, you will die in your sins. But if you do, you will be saved. It, it is so clear. He says, but when that happens, you will know that I am. I put, see verse 24, so let's see it. 
It says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. He has said that to them over and over again. He says um, that everyone will know when he has truly submitted to his father unto death. When this is all complete, he says, all will know. All will see that what I have said is true. Now, when? Well, many saw after his resurrection. But what do we know about one day? The fact that he completed it all, he says, when I am raised up, when it is done, when my job is finished, when I pay the debt of sin and I conquer death and say, oh, death, where is your sting? And I am raised to sit down at the right hand of the Father. When all of this is done, I promise you at one point, everybody will understand that I am. And he lets him know. Verse 29, he says, and he who sent me is with me. He hasn't left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 31 says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hmm. 1632, look at that verse. He says in the here, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. We know that in the end, all were scattered. All of his disciples were scattered, but who did not scatter? The Father. He says, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So I don't believe for one minute the Father left Jesus at the cross. When he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? You can't break up the Trinity. It's three persons, one nature but he can allow Jesus to experience the darkness of sin. How could he be our mediator if he couldn't understand what it is to be alone and feel separated from God? Okay, but I don't think that's all he means here. I think he is saying that the Father has always been with me. The Father was with him in every moment of life. He would never abandon him. Eliot's commentary said, or Ellicott's commentary said this, he was ever conscious of a presence which they knew not of. But when the future would reveal, but one the future would reveal. The words, for I do always, furnish the reason for the presence of the Father in every act and moment of his life. All things done by him at all times were in accordance with the Father's will. In his human nature, perpetual communion is conditioned by perpetual obedience. And he is the only one that can claim that. The only one. Nothing ever got in the middle of the relationship of the father and son. Their connection was always there. He never left them alone. He operated in that full trinity, father, son, Holy Spirit, that perfection. He is the only person that can claim such. Not even the Pharisees could argue with it. 846, look at that. He says, okay, if you don't agree, which one of you convicts me of sin? I'll throw it back to you. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, in other words, if my life and everything you have seen about me matches up to what I am saying, 
Why will you not believe me? Why will you not believe me? Nothing impeded or blocked fellowship between the Father and the Son. And here's the thing. God will never leave me alone as his daughter. He has filled me with the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that it is a deposit. It's a seal. He has sealed me, right? Ain't nothing else getting in there. That seal reveals who I belong to. The Holy Spirit, hopefully in me, is evidence of who I belong to. It is a deposit guaranteeing my inheritance. I always tell women, listen, you have a knight in shining armor. He loved you so much he thought you were dying for. A matter of fact, he was unwilling to leave you alone ever, so he deposited his nature inside of you, guaranteeing that he will return from you. He never left you alone, not once. And he went, and he's preparing a place for you, and one day he will return to get you. But he is with you. He is always with you, right? But the problem is with Jesus, Jesus is called the second man because in his nature, his holy nature, he never sinned. He had nothing in the middle of this relationship. It was pure, all spirit, all physical. But for us, not so much, right? For us, we have a divine nature, but it lives inside of what? Flesh. And so our sin can get in the way of our communion. It does nothing about our position with the Lord. You know, if my kids are acting up, we can feel distance, right? And most of the time, by the way, it's not a problem with God, it's a problem with us. We know it. And so what do we do, right? When my kids are acting bad, I mean, I'm not a per- wasn't a perfect parent, so they probably were scared of me. But I'm just saying, and fear ain't a bad thing. Sometimes I'm I'm telling you, but that's not the case with the Lord. We pull away because we see ourselves this way. We let something come in uh, the relationship between God and man. But that was never the case with Jesus. Never the case. Five minutes. Let's see if I can get a good ending. I might teach all John next week. I got some stuff. It says, many believed. Many believed. It says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So many believed. Now, this is, don't you think this kind of hard verse? Doesn't it seem a little legalistic? Or am I the only one that kind of reads it that way sometimes? It says, he said to them, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That, that sounds like an if-then statement. And that, that can be like, Ugh, oh my gosh, I better abide in the word. If I don't abide in the word, if I don't act good, I'm not truly his disciple. Oh my gosh, am I not truly his disciple? Oh dear Lord, he's gonna look at me at one moment and say, I did not know you. And I'd be like, yeah, you do, you do. I did all this stuff for you, I did, I did it all. How do you not know me? You know me, 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 Mary Shannon, you know me? Like, do you ever freak out like that when you read verses like that? Maybe it's because I grew up with this idea, you know, that obedience leads to favor and, you know, the whole prodigal, older child, older son, this whole issue. But this isn't what he's saying, okay? He is saying many believed, okay? Some truly believed. 
But when it says many, have you ever seen a situation where people get swept up in the crowd, in the emotion? They got swept up. And I think what it is actually a picture of is the picture of Matthew chapter 13, which I don't have time to tell you about, so go back. But the whole issue of the good soil, that the seed is planted, right? That seed is planted, but different soils. And sometimes uh, it'll shoot up really quick, but yet it really had no roots. And so when the hard times come and the sun comes, it gets scorched and it dies out. So I think you have this whole issue of many believed, some truly, but some got swept up in the crowd. So in this crowd we're looking at, we have like kind of like three different situations. We have those who absolutely don't believe, and those are the religious leaders, which, by the way, isn't that interesting because they look like they should, but they don't. And that is why later he's going to tell them who their father is because their true father was a counterfeit because that's what they are. So don't think for one minute we do not have counterfeits in our midst disguised by religion. All right, so that was in the crowd. Number two, you had true believers who believed he was who he said he was. And then you had some who maybe were, I'll say not true believers, but they're getting swept up in this crowd, okay? And so he says the evidence will be those who abide. Now, he says, those who abide in my word. I can kind of explain this in two minutes, and then I'll come back. Those who abide in my word. We're not talking about, like, necessarily who abide in my word. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, this word. What he's talking about is his words. What he, this wasn't even in existence, the New Testament. He's saying, if you believe what I've said, Okay, so not only is he saying if you believe what I said, but if you believe that everything I, I said is who I am, if you believe, if you abide in that, you truly are my disciples. Um, so for example, when I talk about in my excruciating story of the loss of Zachary, and I wanted to leave him, I, was, I'm, I, I still am a little bit, not a little bit, a lot of it, let's just be real, mad at God. Doubted all kinds of stuff. Uh, went through all kinds of emotion. If I could have left, I would have. At that time, I would have. But when it comes down to it, here I was in an agony I could not escape with a stinking faith I could not deny. That's the problem. And when you're in the middle of that and you hear the words that Jesus said to Peter when he truly questioned, when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, okay, that's a little difficult. And he says, Peter, do you want to leave? And he says, where would I go? You have the words of life. That's abiding. Because when you don't understand when you're so angry, when you have more questions than answers, it's a really hard place to be. But the fact is, there comes a point where you sit and you have to truly look at it and you say, mm -mm. but yet in the middle of it all, I am fully convinced 
that neither life nor death nor angels nor powers nor present nor future nor anything in all of this earth can separate me from the love of Jesus. Why? Because I am fully convinced that he is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, he is the I am, and that he loved us so much he was unwilling to lose us, and he knew that the only way that we could have access to God was through him. He said it. He's not a liar. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The only way you can know the Father is to be born again, meaning you are dead in your sins, you are alive physically, dead spiritually, and in order to be made alive, you can't more be made alive spiritually than you could have impacted your own physical birth. Something has to grant it to you. And what I am saying is look at me and live. And when you do, I will make your hearts as streams of living water. You will be made alive and you will become the children of God forevermore in his family. And we have a hope. And when you believe that with all of your core, you can be mad as crud. You can want to leave. You can even hate the people of God. You can do all kinds of stuff. But when it comes down to it and you're left alone, you go, hmm, it is the only way. It is the only way that even logically it makes sense to me. Man cannot work his way to God. God had to come down to man. He died in his place, and out of absolutely love, he gives him eternal life, and he did not come to judge you, and if he had, he had every right. All he came to do was shine the light. The judgment happened inside of each individual. This is the judgment. The light of the world came, and many loved the darkness. It is not your job to judge. It is your job to shine the light, and how do we do that? We freaking love that's how. We love. We guard our tongues. We love. You can stand in the truth and be kind. All right? And that's how it is. And we shine a light and the judgment will happen in others. But at the end of the day, those who abide are my true disciples. Makes sense. We abide. And he's going to say later on, if he, they said abide in my word, if you abide in me, Right? I am the vine, you are the branches. If anyone abides in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for the book of John. Lord, you didn't mince words. Not one ounce. If people want to know who you said you were, then they need to read this book. I thank you that John wrote a book with a theme of I have written these things so that you would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing in him, in who he said he was, and what he said he did, and what he said he did for us, in believing him that he is the only way, by believing in him, we would have life. You are so clear. And the scripture is clear that you want all. It is your loving kindness that draws men to repentance. Not fear, not condemnation. It is your loving kindness that draws people to repentance. 
You came to differentiate not between good and bad people, but between the humble who knew they needed something and the proud that thought they didn't. And so, God, I pray that we would be the light of the world to them, that we would love people, and through that love, they would fall in love with you. God, be with us as we come back next week. Thank you that you're just crazy about us as we are and not as we should be. And Lord, I thank you that you don't leave us as we are, but you transform us all the time. We sure love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.